Trade at Houseology is the supplier of choice for professionals seeking designer furniture, lighting and accessories. Saving you time spent on sourcing, admin and logistics so you can focus on creating beautiful interiors. Welcome to the Interior Design Business. We are the podcast produced by the Interior Design Community for the Interior Design Community. My name is Jeff Hayward, and with my co-presenter Susie Rumbold, Creative Director of Tasuta Interiors and past President of the British Institute of Interior Design, we look at the challenges faced by professional interior designers and offer advice on how to deal with them. We're joined every month by a special guest who can share their insights and experience with you. Today, we're exploring the impact of activity-based working on office design. Back in the day, the corporate workplace used to be filled with serried rows of employees in battery-style cubicles doing boring and repetitive jobs, while their bosses resided in spacious, panelled offices on the upper floors of the building. Conversely, today's organisations measure their success by the ideas, innovation and creativity of their teams. And when individuals come together to talk, big ideas are born. The result is a more flexible approach to workplace design where staff can occupy any space at any point of their day depending on the activity they are performing. But what does activity-based working mean for the interior designer? How can you create the right office environment that helps increase productivity, enjoyment and efficiency? And what effect can your designs have on employee retention and absenteeism? Welcome to the Interior Design Business. We're recording today from the WorkStory showroom in the heart of Clerkenwell. WorkStories is a commercial furniture company representing six brands carefully curated from across the globe to create a highly flexible and coherent product collection for workspace, hospitality and residential projects. Please do pay them a visit. We're joined today by May Forsey of award-winning interior architecture and design firm MF Design Studio. Welcome to the show, May. Thank you, Jeff. Delighted to be here. May, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you became a workplace design specialist? Well, it all started when I was designing uh, my family kitchen and I thought this is the area where we spend most of our time and it's really important for everyone in the house. And I did that at a very early stage where I was fascinated by the whole idea of interior design and I kept the focus, I guess. Um, And when I graduated, I started working for multiple firms. And although I was designing airports back then, something completely different to workplace, I always thought about the area where we're making that magic happen, designing, and especially with designers, you know, we work crazy hours and we spend a long, long time in our offices. So it always was something that I'm passionate about. What what sort of environment are we living in? Is it actually helping our creativity and helping us to produce better? And I always thought of ideas of how can we improve that? Because although we create amazing interiors for lots of different firms and lots of different other um, environments, our office wasn't particularly that inspiring. So it was really key for me to kind of explore that. And when I moved back after after a few years back to um, the, the UK, I started looking for a job. And when I looked for a job I found at workplace being a speciality and I was really interested in that and that's how I all, it all come together and made sense to me. I started then with the workplace design and I thought that yes I can have an impact on how people work and help them with improving their um, environment because it's it's key to pro- productivity. Well, I read somewhere that 85% of people 
working in offices cite their workplace environment as a key driver to Absolutely. them staying in the job. Absolutely, and I, we, I had a very interesting story from a client of mine after handing over saying that one of their staff was meant to be leaving, they, they handed in their notice, and then they moved to the new office, and he came back to the HR director, who was my client contact point at that stage, and he said, I actually love the office, I think I'm gonna stay. <laughs> and that was such a funny story to hear, but it tells you a lot about how important the environment is, yeah. um, and how, how key it is for all the staff oh, and employees. You spend a third of your life in your office. It has to be a nice place. So how long has MF Design Studio been, been going? So we've been going on for five years um, and uh, I have been working as a workplace consultant slash designer for the good part of the past 15 years. Wow. So it's been a long journey um, and it, it's been a, pleasant, a really pleasant one, especially at this time and age when the workplace has been improving and developing yes. and, and and yeah absolutely qu quite quickly so you can see all the trends uh, where we started with cubicles back in, in the 2000 early 2000s that no longer is the case and then moving to the whole open plan and then the activity-based working came along which i think is a great way to introduce um, a different environment to so, people so what actually is activity-based working so it, it basically takes into consideration that we are humans and we do not approach work in a similar way. So we are all different and we require different setups to be able to perform our tasks. And some, some teams require some quiet space while other teams are very buzzy. And within each and every team, each individual has got their own needs. And activity-based working is about catering for the individuals. So you choose how you work and you choose where you can work. So it's purely just developing the space to cater for multiple types of functions and multiple type, types of use. So you choose um, a task, let's say it's a focus task, so you need somewhere away from your desk where there's no distraction. You sit in a quieter zone and that's when you perform this particular task. But then if you want to collaborate with the team, you go to a different setup where perhaps it's an open plan or just a brainstorming space and everybody sits around the table and we're collaborating. So being put in one space where one, one solution one fits, fits all, all yeah. doesn't work anymore. This is not how we perform our tasks and this is not how we, we develop our ideas and create. So how did we get from the series rows of aforementioned cubicles to this wonderful flexible space? How, how has the thinking evolved? purely technology played a great role because previously we had all those computers, big massive screens attached to your desk. Well, so you're not big that mobile. box under your desk too. Absolutely, which stuck. occupies half of your knee room yeah. and you can barely sit. And it takes a big <laughs> massive space within that building as well. Um, technology catered for ABW or activity-based working, it helped it develop and sh take shape and form because now we all work on the trains, we work while we commute, we can work from home. There are so many different various ways of us logging into our work computer and doing some work. And people say that the office will die, but I don't think it will be the case because all the, all the employees um, need to get together. That whole interaction piece is really key for people to start to create and to come about with ideas. And I think creation and ideas is the most important thing. And that's what people get together for the creativity, their ideas and then uh, problem solving. But also that's what people enjoy. The pe thing that people enjoy about going to work is their colleagues and the, and the interaction and the fun that they have and the, the yes. jokes and, the, and, the, and that spirit of camaraderie and, and you know, all working for a common good. 
I think it's really important. That's so true. The social aspect. We're human beings and we need that social interaction. So sitting at home, although you might be so efficient and get a lot of work done, you still need that social aspect. And that's what the office is trying to create. And that's why the offices are moving from being rows and rows of desks to a lot more communities and social spaces where people get together, bump into each other um, and also share ideas and share thoughts, which is quite key. Mm, definitely. What other benefits are there? Does it does it help in terms of um, motivation for employees, enjoyment? Do you get feedback on that? Definitely. So it, it all starts with people. It all starts with employees and what they require. And when you sit with them to do some um, initial work when you're starting a project, you get all this feedback about, um, you know, we need an environment to be able to um, socialize, but also interact and work efficiently. And efficiency is linked directly to happiness and well-being. So if people are happy within their environment, they tend to produce a lot better. And there was one study that um, recommended that um, if it is a happier environment within your office space, you are 15% more productive. And that's actually a really good trait. So it is really important to get the environment right and also dealing with the different generations within an office, especially the millennials and Generation Z, they all are very keen on an environment. It's almost like a, an extension to their campus where they came from university that had that social aspect. The gym is there, but also you have the library where you can go and sit quietly and do some studies, but also collaboration spaces where you, you sit with your colleagues and work on a piece of a project that needs collaboration. So they almost want that transition to be similar to what they are used to already uh, when they were studying. And they come to the office and it's really key for them to explore how the office is going to look after their well-being, their health and what sort of environment and also the culture because the environment and the culture, they go hand in hand. Presumably that helps with retention of staff as well if they're happier. Of course, from employer's perspective and it's always interesting because we work with the staff but we also work with the employers and although they seem to have different needs in the end we're all directed to the same uh, line of thinking which is they want happier people they want productive teams and by producing that nice environment you retain you attract talent and you also make sure that the productivity levels are higher because people are happier and i suppose in addition to staff retention absentee rates drop as well in, is, in a happy environment. That is correct. And fresh air has got a huge um, uh, impact on that. So a happier environment means happier people living in a natural environment. So introducing nature, the light levels and how far is the furthest person sitting away from a desk is really key. Water as well, people drinking more water and it, trying to encourage your staff to drink more water that helps with your well-being and hence all those bottles you see in the, in the offices and the, and the water cooler point basically being a, an area where everybody gets to um, and, um, and also introducing biophilia and that's why it, it is a very big trend in the workplace at the moment. Uh, because it looks after people's well-being. Mm. But getting back to the water point too, it's been shown that um, brain activity increases massively. The more water you drink, so the more water correct. you drink, the more creative you become. That is correct. How far is ABW a standard part of the client brief? It really varies. Some clients have done a little bit of activity-based working before and they have that experience. So they worked with it, they know the benefits, they know the pros and cons, but other clients don't even know the term. So for them, it's a completely new exploration of a new idea and whether it would work or not. But we do a lot of workshops with the clients to try and introduce this idea to them. And but although- I'm guessing it, might, it may well be something that they're doing 
anyway, but they just don't know the label for it. That and is. therefore, they're not creating the specific environment or it hadn't occurred to them until they meet you that it's possible to create a specific set of environments within an office to enhance all these different functions. That is correct. That is correct. We all do it without realizing we're actually doing it. Um, and that makes it slightly easier to introduce. Um, it's just the term and, and also some people think it's just sharing desks and some others think, oh, we'll have a massive big space with a foosball table or a ping pong table. And it's not just that, it, it needs to work for the client. So sometimes we introduce activity-based working with a lot of permanent offices where certain people require to be able to take, um, to, to do their tasks on a daily basis. They need an office to be in. And otherwise, if you put them in the open plan, they're not as productive. And that's okay too. It's, it doesn't mean that we all need to sit in the open plan, we all need to share, and we need to have a ping pong table at the end of the office. That's not it. So it, there's a lot more to it than just that. And how do you go about analysing what the client's requirements are? It's a very, it's a very nice, interesting process where you, you start sitting with a variety of different teams. You try and make sure that you're in all the stakeholders. All the stakeholders as well as the staff. Um, so you try and get a good mix of generations as well as a good mix of levels of where they are on the career ladder. So you get involved with the very highly senior members of staff, but also you sit with the junior members of staff because getting their experience and how they do their daily tasks is very vastly different. So you need to almost make sure that whatever you're creating caters for each and every individual, making sure that they can find the right setup for them to be able to work. And then once you've established that, you've done your sort of fact finding and you've done your diligence on the team, what's the process then? What happens next? So what happens next is we come with a solution. So we start looking at how we go about this project, having given that brief that we have, what is the best way to introduce this team to a new idea and um, a new space that works for everyone? So you start a set or a series of workshops where you actually start speaking to the teams um, about the change. And because there is a cultural change involved within that process, it's really important to communicate that cultural change. So that they buy into it. That's it. Get the buy-in, get them on board, because if they don't get the buy if you don't get the buy-in, you're not gonna be able to achieve a successful space. You need to make sure that there are so many people supportive of the idea and are happy to take it forward and happy to drive it within the organization. That's definitely a key element. Do you often meet with resistance? Because you think if someone's suddenly gonna if they've been in a really boring office and suddenly the their boss decides to spend a lot of money and revamp the office and suddenly it's going to be this super cool environment. I can't imagine many people being anti that. Do you find that you strike resistance from unexpected quarters or, You'll be always, or always the same quarters? <laughs> Where does it come from? Uh, it comes from, oh, am I moving out of my office? So no more office for me. That would be top of the list. And as well, if we do desk sharing, that can come with a bit of resistance because as human beings, we like to have our own territory where we put our photos up, our photos of our dogs and our kids and, and just you, personalize the space. Your personal plan. Absolutely. And um, that gets a bit of resistance, but also knowing that the bigger picture is a much better environment. Along the way, you lose that resistance and everybody comes on board, but you always get um, some people who are anxious, basically. I mean, I, I know that for an employee in central London, it costs between 12 and 14,000 pounds per annum to have someone sitting at a desk. So if you can reduce the number of permanent desk spaces, obviously that's money straight on the bottom line or money that you can feed into research and development or other areas of your business. 
Um, so you can you can see that it's really appealing. But do you think clients then are, are always realistic about the number of permanent spaces that they need? I have heard some funny stories about various consultancies it's fine when everyone is out with clients but you know periodically everyone is in the office and actually there just aren't enough places for people to sit and that could be really frustrating yes and i think top of brief is if we're going with office sharing we need to make sure we future proof the space because if if the lease is a 10-year lease you know that the organization is going to grow it might shrink but also there is a, a potential, potential growth. for growth yeah. and that's why you um, engage with the stakeholders to make sure you get a good strategy of where they are heading in the next five years and try to future proof it as much as you can um, to just avoid all those scenarios because it, nothing is more frustrating than not being able to find a desk well, then to you're sit at. You're really going to feel not wanted, aren't you? Well, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, there's nowhere, nowhere for you to sit. So, so when you are designing these types of workspaces, what are the various zones that you need to design and what would you say are the main design considerations associated with each one? So when we're looking at an office space and we look at how humans interact within an office and what they need on a daily basis to, or to take their tasks and uh, perform the tasks, they need to be interacting with their teams. So that creates the bigger scale uh, um, areas and zones, which are purely open plan spaces, uh, collaboration zones with big tables where we can all get around the table and start discussing and talking about projects. You also need some concentration zones. These are the areas that are semi-quiet where you get away from your desk. When you're sat there, you, you are known to be needing a bit of quiet and needing a bit of concentration time. And we also create areas like the cafes where you chill out, you just break away from your desk and all, the whole stress and strain of a screen in front of you sitting at your desk and working, you need to break away from that and have an area where you socialize, again, goes back to the social aspect of, uh, of the workplace. Um, and then quieter zones for meeting meetings, and that could be meeting rooms or meeting pods and booths. We don't all sit um, in, in rooms all the time. It can be a variety of different types of, and solutions of furniture to enable meetings. And then I imagine that you've got certain requirements for all those different functions for, for example, lighting in the various areas or, or the mitigation of noise. You, know, you were talking about having somewhere where you could quietly go off and concentrate on something, but you've got a riotous meeting going on in the in the cubicle on the other side how do you how do you manage those sorts of those sorts of issues in the office space or perhaps a very loud person or a very loud person <laughs> which yes. we come across all the time mm. i can't i don't want to be set next to james uh, <laughs> yes um i think lighting and acoustics are the most important two aspects of design and they make and break a scheme so you have to approach them with a lot of attention and care when you're designing um, lighting levers are important, uh, especially if we are in England where some days are very grey and you barely see the natural light. Um, it's very important to get the right lux level um, for the right task as well mm -hmm. because sometimes when you put too bright lighting in an environment where people need to maybe focus more or a library environment, a quieter zone, it becomes a little bit um, unclear or harsh. It, it becomes a little bit more harsh and uh, it doesn't suit the space and doesn't suit the task. So getting the right light levels is important, um, making sure that you're designing to cater for the task that people are going to be doing at this particular moment of time is really key. Um, acoustics, the biggest, the biggest issue in each and every client meeting that I go to is acoustics. 
uh, acoustics in meeting rooms, acoustic within the open plan. Some teams who are sat in the open plan require slightly more quieter environment. Other teams are sales, they're on the phone all the time. So I think it's space planning wisely and making sure that you put the right team in the right area to enable the teams that need to be more uh, quiet um, the quieter space that they require, but also make sure that there is a connectivity and connection between the different teams, which is a challenge. In a nice big environment, that's probably not going to be too much of a problem. But if you're trying to squeeze a lot of people into a fairly small space, that must be really tricky. And there are other ways that you can mitigate. I mean, I know lots of sort of contemporary office furniture, for example, has, has inbuilt um, acoustic panels and things. But are there any tips for how you, again, manage the passage of noise around a, a not such a big space? It, it is very trendy now, all those acoustic treatments. And as you said, there are so many different manufacturers offering various solutions. Do they work? They do, but it's always, it's always tricky with noise because you can always add some ceiling baffles and put some screening in between the teams. But everybody needs to understand that we are still in open plan. You will get an element of the noise. And that's what we try to mitigate by putting some quieter rooms dotted around the space. So if you feel that the op open plan is getting too noisy for you, you step away from your desk, you go into one of those drop-in quieter rooms, you sit down and do your task and then get back to your desk. And that's it all comes back to technology and how important technology is to support this movement from one place to another and this seamless almost interaction between the desktop that is placed on your desk and the laptop you're going to be taking to the next point to perform that quiet task that you require. Mm, mm. No, no, I, I get that. And just going back to lighting, that technology is evolving as well, isn't it? There's a lot more talk about human-centric lighting and changing the colour temperature as well as the lux level. So the well certificate within buildings, um, it, it also encourages this um, light interaction with people. So when you are coming in in the morning, you are full of energy. So maybe the light levels at this stage is very, very bright to cater for this activity it is down to human human nature basically mm. so in the morning you're more active mm. so therefore you perform better and therefore the light levels should be really high to adapt to your mood and then as the day goes by your mood kind of drops slightly um, at lunchtime and that's when the light levels start changing mm. and it's just getting this interaction between the lighting within your environment to cater for all the human changes and all your human needs. I used to work in an office that had sick building syndrome. Now, that's not a subject that you hear discussed very much anymore, but yeah. sick building syndrome. And by four o'clock in the afternoon, everybody, everybody in that buying office had a splitting headache oh. because it was all using fluorescent light and it was to do with the, the slowness yeah. of the speed at which fluorescent light oscillates. So yeah. you're not aware of it, but there is this terrible flicker going yeah. on. So if you've been concentrating really hard all, you know, up until from nine o'clock in the morning through till four o'clock, you've had lunch at your desk, you know, you're in a terrible state by the time it gets to 4 p.m. And yeah. it's interesting because the second you get out of the building, the, the headache would just lift. But yeah. I don't think it was good for anyone. That and the and the ventilation in the building was terrible yeah. too. And so yeah. all you know, modern buildings, of course, have got rid of all these issues. We hope. Yeah, that's right. So modern buildings are now taking into consideration. You spend a vast majority of your day within the office space, so you have to make sure that you, the environment you're providing to your staff works from fresh air 
to air conditioning, make sure that the, that the space stays fresh, adding plants and hence the biophilia is really important because that helps with the oxygen levels. So as an interior designer, you've got to be working really closely with the M&E consultant as well as the lighting designer, if there is a lighting designer. Yes, definitely. It's a, it's a collaborative approach and you have to work very closely with the M&E especially to make sure that the environment is comfortable. And as much as with interior design, you care about the look of the office, you care about the circulation, you care about how the behavior within the space and how people interact and work. But it's also key to get the comfort levels right, because if it's a beautiful environment with the wrong comfort levels and people feel stuffy or too cold or too hot, it's never going to be helped. It needs to be coherent and all it all needs to cater for the happiness and the well-being of people within the space. Yeah. Tell me, what do, what do they, I hear sometimes people talk about casual collisions in the workplace. What does that mean and, and why are they so important, people bumping into each other? As we said, the office is a place for people to interact and socialize. And from an employer perspective, you want your people to know each other um, on a social level as well as on a work level. So you're trying to draw the traffic to one particular area and, and get people to collide into each other, the casual collision, and make sure that they interact, they are speaking to one another. That actually helps with problem solving within within the environment. So, and so the idea when you bump into Joe at the water cooler and say, oh, I've been meaning to talk to you about whatever it is. That is absolutely yeah. right. So instead of us depending on emails, which a lot of us do, it's just getting this interaction and getting people to bump into each other at the water cooler or the print point. The print point seems to be a very important key element. So we try to centralize the print, uh, the printing area, the copy print area in a space where we draw everybody from the different various teams to get them to interact. And also the cafe or the tea point or the coffee point, whatever we call it. This is again, a very key piece within any office space. We try to centralize it, make it the hub and make it a completely different environment to the rest of the office. So these would be spaces that people almost have to pass through a number of times on their journey around the building in any standard working day. That is correct. So you, you, you space plan it in a way that people circulate and have to pass by those points to make sure that you encourage that collision. And sometimes when it's a multiple storey occupancy where the client is occupying more than one floor, you make sure that this staircase has got all it takes for people to actually stand and catch up. Um, on the staircase, it helps with again back to the well-being. Mm -hmm. Help people be more active and get um, get away from from the desks and get the step count, but also interact and talk, um, which is really important. Now I know they say that sitting is the new smoking. On on average, people spend nine point three hours a day sitting, which is more than the seven point seven hours a day they spend asleep, um, and that this is related to uh, up to a ten percent increase in, in increased risk of breast and colon cancer. 6% of heart disease and 7% in type 2 diabetes. So I guess anything you can do that gets people moving is for the greater good. Of course, and setting challenges within the uh, workplace. We I saw a lot of clients giving everybody a Fitbit or something similar so that they can count their steps and they have a challenge at the end of the week who did the most number of steps. That all helps. And um, yeah, sitting is the new smoking. I completely agree. And hence the whole uh, move to the sit-stand approach, the adjustable height, adjustable desking, where you can perform your task while you're standing up and that's actually better for you. How widely is that being adopted? Very widely. Um, when it started, it, was, it wasn't it was as well spread as it is now. With every single project we do, there's a percentage of sit-stand desking that we introduce. 
Um, and whether it's the whole office, sometimes we actually do kit the whole office to be able to sit and stand. But if not, um, we try and introduce 10 to 20% per office space for where people, if they decide they want to get away from the desks, they get um, into an area with um, height adjustable desking where they can actually just stand and do, perform the task while standing. And walking desks? I have seen that. It was. It's not hugely used. You can see it in some of the media um, companies where they are being very, very cool about their space. And and I saw actually a really cool product where you can actually cycle as you as you sit in a meeting room. So the meeting room had three pa paddling bikes uh, built within the, the table, and you sit and cycle. And there was three different individual lamps on top of the table where when you cycle, the, you power up the lamp. So May, in the design of their offices, Google have the 150 feet from food rule. What's that all about? So it's all about people's nourishment um, and introducing um, a very healthy snack for um, employees throughout the day. Because we all know that during the day when, you know, past lunchtime, uh, when you are slightly tired and you're energy levels drop you need to have access to food and it's really important not just being that close to food it is also the type of food that you're offering and a lot of organizations are now very conscious about the type of snacks they offer to their staff so instead of the vending machine that has got a packet of crisps or snickers, and, or, or, snickers twix or, or twix they're trying to introduce a lot more vegetables and fruits within the office so when you are 150 foot away from the from the food, uh, bowl. food yeah food bowl you know that you're making a conscious decision of actually having a nice snack that is good for you it enables you to restore your energy levels and you're actually being looked after so and the then being, being absolutely cynical about it from the employer's point of view it means you only go 150 feet to snack bowl rather than leaving the office for 20 minutes to go and buy a Twix yes absolutely absolutely <laughs> okay and we, we talked about uh, we talked about status earlier and the problem with with going from cellular office to open plan any any tactics for overcoming that problem this problem is one of the biggest talked about in the whole open plan environment and how do we uh, overcome this issue and I, I always see this as it depends on staff and it depends on the type of workers we're trying to cater for. So if, if there is one particular director who was in an office environment and then he's now in the open plan, it actually does help him to get uh, more integrated with the team and it helps him to overhear conversations he wouldn't normally get involved in when he, he is sat in the office. But also you need to make sure that he has got a room where he can get to when he needs that private time where he's having that confidential conversation where he cannot be overheard. So it's just getting striking a good balance where yes we are moving people out of the offices but that does not mean we're, we're stripping them from their privacy. You need to cater for the privacy by introducing something else like phone rooms or phone pods where you take your phone and just get away from your desk, go in there, take that confidential call and then get back to your office. But you mm. mentioned earlier one of the things people like to surround themselves with photos of their, you know, trophy wife and three kids or their dogs or, you know, their yacht or their Ferrari or whatever it might be or their plant or, you know, their own particular water bottle or their thermos flask of tea or whatever whatever it is that they like to have with them. So if you've got people who are moving from space to space carrying only their phone and their laptop how do you how do you go about catering for, for for those sort of really personal requirements that make people feel grounded we actually do cater for that so by introducing the desk sharing you also have to introduce a locker space so storage uh -huh. is key so you get to introduce 
lockers for each and every individual member of staff where they keep their stuff and that could be their plant that could be actually their um, all the photos and all the things that they like and within those lockers some of the new furniture solutions is basically a bag you carry around i saw something called a hot box that is yes correct. There so go. the hot box where you put your ipad or your laptop and then you put all the photos all the things that you like to surround yourself by we're all human beings and we like that that human aspect um and Putting that around you um, at your desk environment makes you feel that this is your home and regardless of this home being the same desk each and every day, it is still your home because it's got your stuff on it. So we can still achieve that. Yeah, no, that's good. And then what other sorts of storage does the ABW office need? What other things are going on that people need to look after and keep? Office storage is a key um, important element of design to make sure that the office stays um, as designed on day one um, and to make sure that the office is not being cluttered and full of uh, st storage boxes or whatever it is you need to be very uh, creative and clever around the storage so you need to know exactly what what the amount of storage that your client has but also coats so when you come in in the morning and it's been raining you don't want to be hanging your coat um, at the, back, the back of your of chair, chair and dripping mm. all, all around and causing all sort of unpleasant smells so you need to cater for that by putting some coats cupboards um, and they should be in the right locations bike racks so when there are bike racks within the space you need to make sure that you have those um, lockers also for cyclists so you are encouraging well-being you're encouraging your staff to be active but also you're catering for that by giving them the right solution and uh, towels heat rail heated rails to make sure that the towels dry during the day and not cause all sorts of unpleasant smells and and also a dedicate, dedicated space for that rather than putting them in the toilets which should which could be very unpleasant to others who are using those um, well especially to perhaps you have clients that are using those facilities as well yes that's correct mm. and that's why you need to always look after them and make sure they look tip top yeah yeah no absolutely and then of course there's the the whole the whole issue of the people trying to move towards paperless offices because once upon a time a lot of what was stored was files paper files do you see much resistance to, to people moving towards paperless it's not 100 percent paperless yet and although we talk about oh we're completely paperless we start off with a brief that oh we're 100 percent paperless we don't need any on-site storage but then as you dig deeper and get a lot more brief you find that certain teams have to keep records of certain documents for a certain number of time uh, of years and also uh, make sure that they are accessed on site so although we I can see a reduction, a massive reduction on the amount of storage that we're putting in nowadays, but there is still an element of filing that needs to be there just to make sure that everybody has got what they need um, on a daily basis. But I suppose too, there's a wider business issue that the actual online storage facility for electronic documents needs to be rigorous. I mean, obviously it's not something necessarily that the interior designer would do, but there needs to be a system so that everybody in the building, as they're moving around the building, can find whatever document they need off the server you know, people start to, to print things out because they can't they want that paper copy because they can't find the thing they need on the server so there's a there's a, a sort of broader management issue I think behind that's behind correct that. and I think it all goes back to how important IT is to support the office culture change and to support the activity-based working yeah no, definitely what about color how important is color in the ABW office Colour is 
really important in design in general. It is a very important thing. And, and then when you study the psychology of colors and how color can have an impact on people, you realize how important it is to introduce the right scheme. And although you get all those requests of, oh, our branding is yellow, let's have yellow everywhere. You try to resist as a designer <laughs> just to make sure that people get the right colors in the right environments. And because with activity-based working, it's all about the right setup for the right task. So give us some examples. Where would you, you know, if, if you had a quiet area, what would be the, your favorite color or your, your preferred color for, for using in a, a quiet concentration area? So in a quiet concentration area, you're trying to be as green as possible, whether that's introduced by the plants, introducing the green through the plants, uh, or actually through the solutions around um, the space, like the acoustic baffles that you might be putting in the ceiling, or maybe even by a wallpaper or painting a wall green. Green is usually a very good color, uh, especially in a quieter calming zone. You always take inspiration from nature, so the sea as well, uh, the blue, light blue hues of the so blues, greens. Absolutely, blues and greens in quieter areas. And what about the colors for stimulating creativity? What about brain? brainstorming area what would you use there you try and put more punchier colors like orange and yellow and just to try to um, entice people's brains to work better and and white color you can actually do that and are there any colors that you shouldn't use in an abw office i can't say that i think it's all about the environment and what you're trying to create every color has got its place but you need to make sure that maybe the clashes are not too harsh on the eyes because you want people to feel relaxed in the environment do you ever find too, I, I've, I've seen some offices where I think again people perhaps have not, they've kind of gone, we're going to have a funky office. And so they've given themselves a funky office without actually thinking about the whole ABW thing. So they think that the, by painting the cafe lime green and putting a table tennis table in there, they've created this amazing environment. Do you find that clients slightly, perhaps before they get to know the process, misunderstand what it is that office designers are doing? Absolutely. And it's, it's a massive... Um misperception of what activity-based working is all about and I think it's it when you go on social media and type in modern office or contemporary office you find all those beautiful images of offices with slides and whether that works for you or not that's all another pools, yes, yes. that's a completely different story you need to make sure that the space works for you it works for your the organization it copies the culture and is representative of who you are rather than try and copy beautiful images of the internet and that would not work and that's that's the main purpose behind um, hiring an interior designer to do the job because yes, because if you're an insurance company in the city you're not going to want to slide disappearing into a ball pool in your not. reception area that's probably not really going to be what you're all about that's true. And I came across that many times where I've been called to um, offices where the client said, oh, we introduced this beautiful space and we don't know why it doesn't get used. And then you, you go downstairs, have a look, and then you realize that they have got um, a pool table and it, it occupies a huge amount of space. But then when you look at the staff and the patterns and how they work, they're sales and they're not in the office for that long period of time uh, within the day. To, yeah. So they don't really have the time to go downstairs and use that pool table. Maybe it works better when you have analysts who are spending a long time in front of their screens and need to break away. So introducing the right type of breakout is really key. So do you think there are types of companies that ABW works better for than others? Or do you think it's a fairly universal thing? Do you think it can be made to work for any type of organization? It definitely works for everybody because all human beings act in the same way in a sense that we all perform tasks differently. We all require 
a different setup to perform each and every task that we're working on. So by applying that method and giving people the right spaces, you are actually trying to make sure that they are being more productive within their space. So it works for any size, any industry, and it's just getting it right, getting the balance right and knowing the needs and knowing exactly what you need. Google clearly are recruiting very highly motivated people who are already successful in their working environments who are then given a, 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 an environment, a working environment within Google that allows them to, to, to maximise on their productivity and creativity. If you're dealing with an organisation that perhaps isn't hiring such high flyers, do you think that that whole ABW thing still works for them? Or, do they, or are there certain types of, of office workers that perhaps do need a more rigid, overseen... Insurance companies or accountants, for example. Yes, exactly, yeah. I have worked with many insurance companies in the city and they all work differently. Some of them are more interactive and they want that interaction. And in one particular project, we've been asked to introduce a business lounge and that was a complete um, exercise of activity-based working at, at, it, at, at its best, where we have variety of different setups for brokers to come in and sit down and interact, but also meeting rooms that require the really high level of acoustic privacy. Mm. Um, so it can be achieved and it's just how you approach it. And it's the brief that you get from your client. So it, it might not be just the breakout area being huge and having all those foosball tables and ping pong tables. It can be a very formal way of approaching things where you give people a variety of different spaces, informal meeting areas, as well as formal enclosed so it's, spaces. So it's, it's a methodology. It is totally a methodology. And what about office etiquette? Because you've created this fabulous environment. You've got people who are hopping from desk to desk, carrying their little bagfuls of family photographs. Do you work with your clients to impose a, a way of managing that space i'm thinking about things like you know perhaps someone's just eaten a burger and chips at a desk and i sit down at it and it's covered in grease that's not going to impress me very much you know things like people that always have a particular desk that they like and they get cross if they turn up and somebody else is sitting in their desk that sort of thing are there ways to help your clients manage those sorts of eventualities I usually work very closely with facilities managers because it's really important whilst we design the space and we spend a long, long time to understand the needs um, and give the client a great space, we need to make sure that the client know how to maintain it and keep it. And as you said, it's the behavior as well and it's a, as well as a cultural change. So making sure that you reinforce some good rules within the office, so good habits where people put their cups in the dishwasher after they finish drinking tea and don't leave it at the desk because somebody else might be sharing your desk after you leave. Um, Phone-free zones is an obvious one. Definitely, phone-free <laughs> zones. Um, and that, that all is helped by introducing the right uh, phone booths in the right places where people have to get to a phone room when they are taking a call, not being particularly loud in an open plan environment. And things like no eating at desk, that seems to be a massive policy that a lot of my clients are actually uh, taking on board. So if you want to eat, we're trying to encourage people to interact and get together in the cafe. And, and go and have those casual collisions that are so valuable. That's exactly it. Would you also say that because of the popularity of ABW, it's creating more opportunities for interior designers to do workplace design? 
Definitely, and workplace design has become a lot more interesting and fun to be involved in. And I can only imagine back in the days when people used to put some carpet and, and, and row of desks and how not um, inspiring that was uh, as compared to today where you can create any concept and any idea as long as it fits within uh, the organization's culture. So that's a very exciting time for interior designers to be involved in workplace at this time and age. Fantastic. So, May, this is the part of the show that we really look forward to because what we like to do is, is ask our special guest what is the best or worst, and in your case, workplace design experience you have ever had on a project. Well, I, I remember this funny story that happened before where um, we were working on a project for about a year and it was one of our biggest projects. A lot of time and effort went into that and everything was going great. Delightful client and um, a really nice journey throughout. Really good contractors on board. The whole team was really good. And it was hand over day. And you mean, uh, you know, I mean, what can go wrong? Nothing can go wrong. It's been going so great so far. So. I went to the handover meeting where everything was set up for a little celebration afterwards with canapes and I went into the room and the client looked a little bit upset and I was a bit surprised because as far as I'm concerned everything was going to plan. Went in and the minute I went into that room he, he was like May we need to have a word and I thought oh my god what could have happened. Um, I was in that space like a, a couple of days before and everything seemed absolutely fine. Anyway, he took me to the kitchen and while walking, he said, this is not what I signed off, the kitchen units. I did not sign off those. We were meant to have the Zebrano veneer and we're now ending up with blue and I don't know how that happened. And I kept thinking in my mind, I did not specify blue cupboards and I signed over a sample sheet that said Zebrano saw the sample. We were all happy with it. Went, went into that kitchen and the minute I looked at it, I realized the protection was still on and the contractor <laughs> was laughing in the background because they did not peel off the protection and they said oh we just wanted to see your reaction <laughs> right so the client was delighted he was delighted oh thankfully yes so all went to plan after that prank Thank you, May. That was fabulous. Thank you so much for your wonderful contribution. And thank you also to the team here at Work Stories for hosting our discussion today and to our pod partners, Trade at Houseology. The interior design business is available from wherever you get your audio on demand. And if you enjoy listening to the series, then please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at IntDesignPod, Instagram and Facebook at Interior Design Business Pod and on LinkedIn at the Interior Design Business Podcast. We are brought to you with support from Trade at Houseology and sister company Bureau. This episode of the Interior Design Business is a Wildwood and Alfie Media production. <laughs>